0: If I were to meet with a company of people, both saint and sinners, and had only one opportunity, never would have another opportunity, to preach, what would I use in the way of the scripture? And I said over and over, the first four verses of the 8th of Romans are Titus 2, 11 to 14. Four verses in Titus 2 and four verses in Romans 8. I hope among other good resolutions you made, you resolved that you're going to learn more of the Bible and know God's word during this present year. I don't know whether we'll ever get through this year or not, but... Uh, There are great changes ahead. You and I ought to be today knowing that we've been turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God and to wait for his Son from heaven. Now, in the language of the world, it may be later than we think. But let's do not lose any opportunity in the matter of studying our Bible. And then the Lord says, Be not only hearers, but doers of the word. Several years ago, they were digging the foundation, excavating for this hotel at Wilson and Beacon. They went down to the regular depth for a building. They found out the foundation would not be secure. They went three feet deeper. And after that, they put in the back chair 14 or 15 very deep holes four feet square and about four feet deep and they filled them up with concrete they were not taking any chance they wanted a a solid foundation for a very heavy building now if you will come tonight again if you will take in these eight verses and really Be like the Bereans, go home and study them and apply them, get them in your mind and heart. I want to tell you, you'll have an unshakable foundation to build on. I think you'll see that as we turn now to the 8th chapter of Romans, 4 verses, and tonight at Titus 2, 11 to 14. There are no more important scriptures in all the Bible. In fact, if you had the time, you could preach on every text in the Bible from the first of Genesis to the last of Revelation using these verses in the eighth chapter of the book of Romans. Because the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is built or formed around the four verses here setting forth three great laws. Three great laws. Now, the Bible, all the way through, is the story of these three great laws. Now let's read very carefully the eighth chapter, these four verses. There's an expression here in the Greek, it is found only one time. I don't know why, for emphasis, they put it in twice. There are only five interpolations in all of the Bible. The one where it says there are three in heaven that bear witness of the, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the one in the fifth of John where an angel went down and troubled the waters. Yes, and in the uh, uh, Our Father prayer, the Catholics pray it as it is in the Greek. There's nothing in the Greek, in thine is the kingdom and the power and glory. It doesn't hurt, doesn't interfere with anything. Only those four, and this in the 8th chapter of Romans. The words who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. They appear once in these four verses, not twice. We have them in our King James edition, in the first verse, and in the fourth verse. There is therefore now, not when we get to heaven, but now, That wasn't true while Christ was on earth. It wasn't true when Israel was under the law. But now, in 1955, right here today in Chicago, this is true. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Thou who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit is the believer's state and not his standard. If there's anything clearly taught in God's word for today is that no one is saved by walking or behaving or doing. Walking, behaving, doing have nothing whatever to do with your standing in grace. It has something to do with your manifestation of life by the grace and power of God. Salvation is holy altogether, 100 percent, without any effort on the part of any man. You do not have to join any church organization. You do not have to do one benevolent thing. You do not have to have one religious deed in your life to be saved. There's only one condition, and that is to be in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Now, this is the way it operates. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, no matter uh, what religious experience you may have and, and rejoice in it, no matter what may be your material and physical prosperity and health, this is the most important Issue of all of life, this is the most important thing to know. If that's true, then we ought to not move until we know, absolutely, should not move further, than we know what the law of the state of life is. Now, what we want to be made free from is the law of sin and death. It's a universal law. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Lust when it is conceived, bringeth forth sin. Sin when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Now, the final judgment for death is in the 20th chapter of Revelation. Whosoever is not found written in the book of life shall be cast into the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. This is the second death. This this is the second death. The Bible says, She that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. Now that not only applies to the she's, but it applies to the he's. If there's anything taught in the Word of God, it is this the universality of the law of sin and death. It is just as natural for a person. Conceived in sin and shaping in iniquity as all the children of Adam are, just as natural, natural for a, a person to sin as it is for a duck to go to water. I think if you remember back in your life, the first thing you remember having done was to sin, and to have sinful thoughts. Some time ago, there was a fine young woman came to the office, came to the room. She said, I've been saved for six years, but I lived an ungodly life. All the depths of sin to which I went. And she says, every time I get down to pray, she said, I presume it's the devil. They come into my mind all the dirty sins and the dirty words and all the things that I ever did in my life. And they so disturbed me. And she told me, of all something about all of those great sins. And I gave her something that a friend of mine gave. He said he'd been all over the country as an evangelist. He'd met people like that. And he said, every time the devil comes to you with that, you say, Satan, I plead the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He isn't afraid of your New Year's resolution. Satan is afraid of the word of God and is afraid of the blood of Jesus Christ. They overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And we put on the whole armor of God that we may stand against the wiles of the devil. I'm drawing that out to let you know that you know, without the word of God or without the Holy Spirit, you know that by nature you're a sinner. Your conscience, has convicted you until you get to the place where your conscience is steered with a hot iron. I said this the other day. I believe it. I believe that every tavern keeper in this country is absolutely devoid of a conscience. I don't think they have a conscience. There are thousands of people that have no conscience. They're past stealing, the Bible says. There's no way in the world to get them convicted. As far as their conscience is concerned. They have many any conscience until that time, until you've become past feeling, you know by your conscience that you're not what you ought to be. You're conscious of a sin that is universal, a disease, and that is called indwelling sin, sin that dwelleth in you. Now, when you were born into this world, you were not consulted. You were conceived in sin and shaped in iniquity, and you came into this world without any uh, agreement on your... God knows that. And when God gave the Ten Commandments, he knew that no person on this earth would ever keep those Ten Commandments perfectly except the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the reason David cried out in the 119th Psalm, Lord, it is time for thee to work for the people have broken thy law. It is time for thee to work. He was saying there, what we read in the 8th of uh, Romans, we read, what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God said his son. Now, the work that you have to do, we're told in the 8th chapter of Micah, what does God require of man but three things, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. The very three things that no child of Adam can do, God demands. Then he said, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. And the only one who ever did the whole duty of man was the Lord Jesus Christ. He was tempted in all points like as we, yet without sin. He was tested by the world, and he overcame the world. He was tested by Satan. He overcame Satan. He was tested by the law, and sin is a transgression of the law. Christ never made a mistake. He never apologized to man. He never confessed to God because he was holy, harmless, undefiled, except from sin. Why? Because he had no disease that is universal. Today, he did not have that disease, which is called indwelling sin. He was not conceived, in sin and shapen and in iniquity, like the rest of the children of Adam, twenty billion we're told. Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and God prepared miraculously a body for him, and he had nothing of sin. He never had any desire to sin, and he said, Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Now notice, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. For, now right after Christ Jesus comes for or because, because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. So what the law? Here's the second law. And you can substitute here what the Ten Commandments. What the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us to walk. Now your walk comes. First you stand. Then you walk. Now God doesn't want you to walk or witness or work. He doesn't want you to do one single thing until you're first in Christ Jesus without condemnation. I told you about a beautiful edifice, my, the most beautiful setup that I've seen in a long time of the church and the uh, work, work room. I've been there many times, and I've seen hundreds of those women there, Red Cross and every kind of work. They're benevolent there. Moral, They're gracious. They're cultured. Wonderful. But out in front, the preacher had on the front board, in this church we give the modern interpretation of the Bible. In other words, he preached a social gospel. And the preacher was lost and all the people were lost because you can never be saved by any so-called social gospel. The Bible all the way from Genesis to Revelation says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. You cannot get within a billion miles of salvation or in heaven by trying to walk in the footsteps of the Master or trying to practice the ethics of Jesus or trying to follow in his footsteps. You can never practice the ethics of Jesus until you get the nature of Jesus. You were born with the nature of Adam. And you have to be reborn, a new new creation, to get the nature of Jesus Christ. And by these exceeding great and precious promises, we become partakers of the divine nature. And there's a great transformation, not a reformation. Transformation you pass out of death into life. And whether you call it the new birth or the new creation. There's a great transformation. We're delivered from the power of darkness. We're transferred into the kingdom of the Son of God's love. And we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. Now we read here what the Ten Commandments could not do. Here we're reminded of that wonderful verse in Hebrews 7, 19. The law made nothing perfect the bringing in of a better hope did. There's the negative and the positive. The Ten Commandments made no child of Adam perfect. But the bringing in of a better hope did, and that better hope here is called the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Now from Adam to Moses, Twenty-five hundred years from the day Adam left the Garden of Eden, about that, until Moses was up on Mount Sinai getting ten commandments written by the finger of God, Thou shalt and thou shalt not. Now, sin is a transgression of the law. They didn't have that law for twenty-five hundred years, and they didn't have a line of the Scripture. They had one witness, and that witness was conscience. And they had the revelation of God in the stars and in creation. And even with that conscience in their soul and mind, and the revelation of God in nature, we're told in the first chapter of Romans, they did not want to retain the knowledge of God in their minds and souls. God gave them over to a reprobate mind, and every member of the human race became alienated from the life of God. It was an absolute wreck. There were two wrecks, one at the time of the flood when God says that every imagination of the heart was evil continually, and God destroyed in his wrath every man and woman and child on this earth. I don't say altogether God is love, that's wonderful, but God's no jellyfish of love. The Bible tells us over and over that God becomes very angry. And God has never been as mad and as angry as he's going to be with the people in Chicago who reject the grace of God. The most terrible punishment that ever fell upon any human race, any uh, uh, generation of the human race, will fall upon the people in the United States who have the Bill of Rights and an open Bible, a land of Bible, and the greatest opportunity. We're living in the day of grace. And yet there are millions and millions of our people here that care no more about the love of God and the grace of God than they do about having a big time on New Year's Eve. But now, he says the law made nothing perfect. Then he says in Galatians 3.19 the law was added till Jesus Christ came. It was added. And it was Israel's true master and the Weak word is there, a tyrannical child trainer. It was a tyrannical child trainer, and oh, how uh, tyrannical it was. Suppose you'd go into a college and you'd want a diploma. Now, what's the average age of man? Well, we say 21 years after age of accountability. Suppose you would go into a college and uh, you'd say, well, I want to be sure that I get a diploma. What are the requirements? Well, we have 10 lessons here. Some of them are very difficult, very difficult. And if you stay 20 years in this college and get 100, in a mark of 100, in all 10 of your lessons every day and every week and every year, for 20 years we'll give you a diploma. Now, that would be just a sensible illustration of the law. Suppose you keep all the Ten Commandments for 19 years and break one of them right before you die and didn't turn to the grace of God. You cannot get into heaven with one single sin because one sin will make hell out of heaven. Every sin must be taken care of before you leave this life if you ever expect to get into heaven. Paul says, By the law let every mouth be stopped and all the world become guilty before God. Is that what you find in the churches? The next 20 people you meet, talk to them. I'm not so bad. God says, shut your mouth. Look at Saniy, thou shalt and thou shalt not. I'm just as good as the church members. I do this and I don't do that. That's what the man did in the 18th of Luke. And he says, I'm not like other men. I keep the law. And the law said, the Bible says he went down condemned. The other man smote himself on the breast and he said, God meet me a sinner at the blood, sprinkle mercy seat. Now, by the law is the knowledge of sin, just like by the thermometer is the knowledge of fever. I was in the Presbyterian hospital for an operation. There's a very sick man right next to me. The intern went in there, and the nurses every while, because they thought he was in a precarious condition, he detected suffer. And that woman had a little vessel there, and she had an instrument, a thermometer. And every little while, she'd go and insert it under his tongue. And I heard her go to the phone and phone down to the doctor downstairs and said, the patient in 505 has six degrees of uh, fever. And he prescribed, and she immediately took the medicine. Now, the thermometer didn't give that patient the fever. And the thermometer couldn't take it away, but the thermometer registered just how much fever the patient had, and the medicine was dropped. The law is God's thermometer. He wants to put it in your heart. Now, the law didn't make you a sinner, and the law can't save you. The law reveals just how great a sinner you are, and you need a remedy. And the remedy is the blood of Jesus Christ, the great physician who came. The law was their schoolmaster to bring them to Christ, that you might be justified by faith. And being justified by faith, you're no longer under schoolmaster. So you see, when it says the law made nothing perfect, the law made nothing imperfect. The whole human race back before the law law is like the human race today. Every member of the human race is imperfect. If you re- read the Ten Commandments, you'll find out you're imperfect. It's like a, a mirror. You go to the mirror and your face is dirty. And you look in the mirror and you say, my face is dirty. The mirror didn't make your face dirty. And the mirror can't remove the dirt. The mirror uh, reveals the fact that you need to go somewhere and wash your face. That's what the law did. To let us know our condition before God. It was their schoolmaster to bring them to Christ. Now, the law made nothing perfect. The law made nothing imperfect. Now, why was it that the perfect law did not make the imperfect sinner perfect? because the imperfect sinner could not perfectly keep the perfect law, and so the perfect law could not make the imperfect sinner perfect because he couldn't keep it. But God says, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, and by the one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. I'd rather know the grace of God than to be a multi-billionaire and live as long as Methuselah on this earth in perfect health, health and in every blessing the world. Nothing like knowing the marvelous grace of God. I want to thank God that I heard. first time I ever heard the gospel, I was saved. I was 23 years of age, and I had religion, and I'd had a religious experience. But the first time I really believed the gospel, and what a glorious gospel it was, when I went by faith to Calvary and realized that I was a hell-deserving lost sinner, And impotent and helpless, I couldn't do anything for myself, and all my righteousness before God was like filthy rags. And I did not do one single thing to be saved except to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, knowing that I was a sinner, and where sin abounded, grace did much more of that. And from that day to this, I have specialized in the gospel of the grace of God, because I'm satisfied that nine out of ten people in the church today need to be saved from religion just as much as to be saved from sin, because they have the slightest conception of the meaning and relation of these three laws. Now, the first law was given in the Garden of Eden. What did God say? Adam, in the day that you transgress my commandment, you die. Sin is a transgression of the commandment. Don't you eat of that tree. If you do, you'll die. The devil came on the scene and says, You will not die. And today, Satan comes and says, There is no hell. You do not need the blood of Christ. And millions of people today are believing Satan's lie and rejecting God's truth. They don't stop to take an inventory and do a little thinking that 20 billion people have been murderers and thieves and liars and criminals and crooks. And self-righteous, lost, condemned people because Adam partook of the tree that God told him not to take. Now, that has brought a universal law of sin and death. Now, think of it. As I told you, the undertaker said, in Cook County, they take out 90 burial permits every 24 hours. 3,200 people die in the United States every, every 24 hours. Now, you think of that. Why are they dying? Because the wages of sin is death. But well, that isn't the, the worst of it. We're dead while we're here until we pass out of death the life. And a person who turns to religion instead of the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, if you turn to religion, God says you're twice dead, plucked up by the roots. All right, here's the universality of sin and death. By one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death threefold is passed upon all men. Spiritual death, physical death, eternal death, and separation from God. Well, what did the Lord Jesus Christ do? With our text this morning and our text tonight, we ought to read 2 Timothy 1, 9, and 10, two of the greatest verses in the Bible. You and I are saved and called with a holy calling, not according to our works. Oh, think of the people say, I do this and I don't do this, when God Almighty for 1,500 years tested the whole human race, especially Israel, under a law thou shalt and thou shalt not. How did that law end? The greatest law keepers and the Sabbath keepers, they wanted to kill Jesus Christ for healing a poor woman that was sick for many years, 12 years, another one 18 years. He healed her on Saturday and they wanted to kill him. The most religious people and law keepers nailed Jesus Christ to the cross. That's what the law does. That's what religion does. When the apostle Paul went out to preach, who was it that persecuted him? Three times we have the world, uh, the commercial world, they persecuted him. But uh, nine out of ten times, where did he get his persecution? From religious people. Where does the grace preacher today get his persecution? Not from the world. The world knows it's something wonderful. It's from the religious people. The religious people are absolutely hateful toward the grace of God. The man is inherently religious, and he thinks there's something good about it. But Paul says, I know that in me there dwelleth no good thing. He said, I was religious for many years. And I did this, and I did the other thing, and I was depending upon doing I thought the law was ordained unto life, but when the commandment came, sin revived, I died, and I found the Ten Commandments was not ordained unto life, but unto death. And then I cried out, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this bond. I praise God through the Lord Jesus, then he follows. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Now notice that second uh, Timothy. He says we're saved and called with a holy calling not according to our works but according to God's purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But is manifest by the appearing of Jesus Christ who hath abolished death and has brought life and incorruptibility to the light the gospel. Brother Hibbert and I had a great time here when we were putting in WPCC, our radio station. We had three different engineers working on it, and finally we were all ready to go on the air. Never forget the time Brother Briggs was here, and I think he stayed on for about eight years (laughs) as long as we had it, and sometimes, you know, we could just go up, uh, we had a wonderful time, we could run all over the dial, and we could go on any time of day, all we had to do was pull the lever and we were on the air. Mine like to have that again, we could bother the folks like we used to bother you see around here we'd run all over and they were having dances and hooch parties and everything and we'd chop into them they'd come over here and cut us out man came over to me one day and he says will you do me a favor for god's sake will you get off of the air with that stuff you're giving?" i said if you'll do me one well, if you'll go down to the lake and jump in <laughs> and he didn't do that for me so i didn't do it for him but we went on and uh, one day i went up there when brother charlie baker was here station, I went up there and I didn't know a thing. Brother Briggs went with me to the police station one night to try to find my car, and he told me that I didn't know the cylinder from the hood uh, and the trunk. I don't know a thing in the world about mechanics. But I went up there one day and I turned two buttons and pulled two levers and we were on the air. And I didn't understand it at all. But all I had to do is... Now, he understood every detail of how it worked, but I didn't understand anything. about it. And I want to tell you, beloved, you don't have to be a theologian and get all the ins and outs and the depths of the law of the Spirit of Life in Christ Jesus. All you have to do is pull the lever by faith and get the, uh, get the blessing from it. Jesus Christ abolished death. He's brought life and incorruptibility to life through the gospel. He said, I have power to lay my life down. I have power to take it again. He went to the cross of Calvary, raised from the dead the third day, showed himself alive by many infallible truths, died for our sins, and was buried and was raised again. God says, believe that. And I'll I'll let you go to heaven, forever. without one single thing. You don't have to do one single thing to get into heaven except to get under the power of the gospel and be uh, transformed by the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. It's marvelous. It's dynamic. It's uh, um, uh, the omnipotent power of God. And the one word in the matter of salvation today in the day of grace is one little word, L-E-T. That's both for the saint and the sinner. After you're saved, God says, let me use you. I'd like to use you. Let me use you. And then you say, all right, God, I'll let you use me. Now the sinner says, oh, God says, let me save you. Will you let me save you? As I said all the way from the first of Genesis, the last of Revelation, God has been saying in so many words, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be scarlet?" When well, they be red like crimson, they should be as white as wool, white as snow. God says, I'd just like to save you from hell and take you to heaven. Will you let me? Will you let me? He's saying that this morning. God will have all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. There's one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for many and for all. He settled this in question. He entered once into heaven with his blood, he cried it is his finish, he put away sin, he made peace, he provided righteousness, and everything at the cross of Calvary in the person of the Lord Jesus. Then after that, he gives you the Holy Spirit and every moment of your life. He'll give you power, and that's what we're speaking about tonight in the uh, verses from the book of Titus. Let us stand as we look to the Lord and pray.